Oh, wow. So, okay, Proverbs. Today I picked verse 20 out of chapter 13. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So we're in our series, um, Scriptures That Smash Strongholds. We started last week. We, we were in the Scripture last week uh, from uh, Genesis 50-20. You know the Genesis 50-20 rule. Um, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And, and once you get that scripture down into your soul, your life becomes different. It just changes things. Nothing, nothing uh, is ever the same after that because you'll never ever again in the rest of your life become a victim. You just won't. Um, um, and so today we're going to be also in the Old Testament. If you brought your Bible, we'll be in Deuteronomy, which is um, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's in the first five books. Let's pray as we get into the Word. Lord, um, today... I just want to talk to you about those who have maybe come in today with, with a tender heart. Maybe there is a wound there or a, a sensitivity. And Lord, um, they, they may not hear a single thing that's going on here today other than your spirit. So be it, Lord. Would you minister to the brokenhearted today? Would you fill us with life? And, and God, for the things that we carried with us that are important to us, we know our Heavenly Father loves us so much that those are of great concern to you too. So minister life and hope to us. Now, about the word, Lord, um, let it go forth, but whatever isn't, Lord, of you, let it blow away like so much chaff. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 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 Okay. So uh, Deuteronomy um, is actually the second. It mean, the, wor- the word means second law, and it's, it's a book of admonitions and uh, correctives and application of the word. Um, and this, where we're going to be is, a, is, is chronologically, it's about 40 years after all the, the children of Israel have made their exodus out of, of um, Egypt. And um, so Moses is... It's, I, I wouldn't say that this is a State of the Union address. He's not talking about the Department of Education, and he's not talking about the military, and he's not talking about all those things, although some topics might come up about day-to-day living. This is really a spiritual State of the Union, and he, he's got the whole nation gathered, and he's, he's, uh, having, he's, he's sharing some things with them. So we're going to pick this up in Deuteronomy 28, uh, starting in verse 1. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here at first, and then, uh, then we'll, get, we'll get into it some. And if you faithfully obey, he's talking to the people, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all other nations of the earth. That meant a lot to people because um, if your nation wasn't always under siege from other nations, you had peace, things were good, right? Makes sense? Okay. So he's near the end of his life, and he's talking to this whole nation. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Drop down to verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So um, chapter 29 continues this theme. God's talking about his promise, his covenant with people. It's being renewed. And this is the same day. It's the same setting. It's the same, you know, It's like a message or a sermon or a speech. Uh, Verse 2, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, those great wonders. We could read more about that. We're going to jump down. I'm going to keep moving here. Verse 10, You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water. I'm going to stop there for a minute because this is very clearly Moses saying, the things I'm saying here apply to everybody. 
um, people were pretty much in a, in a family setting there, and family was what was valued, and there was a lot of loyalty to the families, and families stuck together, and the family that worked together and lived together and played together, all that kind of, those concepts were just like squared. It was just everything. But the people who chop your wood, he's saying, even those people. Now, you know, me, I'm a little bit immature, and I'm reading along, and I read chops your wood. It's interesting, you know, it's, they didn't have Home Depot back then, so there was no you know, DeWalt, 20 volt, but the people who chop your wood, this is, you know, carpenters and lumberjacks and people, I mean, this is everybody. The people who sweep your floors, everybody's included in this. Does your mind wander like mine does? Or am I just the only, okay. No, my mother's going, no, nobody mind wanders like yours, Terry. And one who draws your water, verse 12, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God. Everybody gets an invitation. Everybody. Um, it's the covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Um, it's now verse 18, which is a very, very important verse. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away from the Lord our God, to go and serve the gods of those nations, beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Wow, great warning. And now we're getting closer to our stronghold smashing verse, verse 24. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? Then people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God, their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in the book, and the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. I mean, that's it. Is it just stop there? We don't get to know more about what was going on there? Correct. <laughs> you know, here, here's another example. There are lots of places like this in the Word of God, and you'll find these in your life, where, you know, that's it. That's all the information you get. And it's almost like there's a, a, a secondary message that, that follows that answer. No, you know, no, that's, that's all I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm God. And... Um, do what I tell you, and it's going to be awesome, or not, and it won't be awesome, and I'll make certain of that. Seriously, God? Because I got some questions about some of the stuff that I encounter in life. People have questions. Would you agree? People have questions. I mean, I mean here, here's, so here we are to our verse today, that, that, that once this verse gets down into your soul, things are going to change for you. Deuteronomy 29, 29, a great address, easy to remember. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So our title, the title, if we were going to put a title on the message today is this, I may never know why. I may never know why. <laughs> there are things that happen to us that, that we see, that we feel, that we experience, and it can be really painful not to know why God was this allowed. And there are many instances where we will not know why 
in, in this life. I'm not going to know why. I want to know. I, I want to know. You want to know. I want to know. We want to know. But we're not always going to know. You know, we'll know in heaven. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that, uh, for then we will know perfectly, even as we are known. How well does God know you? Perfectly, right? But that, that day will come, we will know as well as we are known, but, but not in this life. There are many questions that come up now that we cannot answer. And just right up front, it's a struggle not knowing. I struggle. Do you struggle? <laughs> I know. It's not easy for us. Now, this word um, in this passage, secret, um, this, this Hebrew word, sathar, really mean, it means hidden, the opposite of what God reveals. What it literally means is not available for knowing under any circumstances. <laughs> you can't know it. You can't find it out. It doesn't matter if you throw a temper tantrum, if you try manipulation, if you try threats, we try those things, but those are all, um, those all fall in the category of by any means, it can't be known by any means. There's a lot we can know. Scripture tells us there's a lot. We can get wisdom um, to, in regard to trials. James tells us if any man lacks wisdom, ask the Lord, we'll give it. Um, we, can, we can get wisdom through life experience. Proverbs uh, 3 says, blessed is the one who finds understanding. We can get knowledge gained through life experience. Proverbs 9 tells us, rebuke a wise man, and he will uh, love you for it, if you're rebuking a wise man. Rebuke a fool, you get a different formula in the, in the proverb, which is interesting. I don't want to go there right now, but... Many, believe, many people believe that the most difficult part of hardship, when you're facing a hardship, is its duration. How long is this going to be? You know, it's, it's not always what happens to me. It's not always who's involved in this. It's not always, uh, you know, all of that. It, 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 when it occurred, but the hardest part, many people believe, is how long is this going to go on? How long is my prodigal son going to be, you know, until they come home? How long until my finances kind of settle down? How long will this loneliness last? How, how long until my healing, you know, wh- how much longer is that going to be delayed? But I, I, might, I might think, you know, it could be, I suppose. Um, but my view is that that's kind of a 30,000-foot overview of a person is, that's, that's in pain about their circumstances. Because I think that when, you know, when you, when you get down to the real underlying question um, it's why. Why? Why, 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 why? That's that, it, it, in fact, when is the question that you ask when you've given up on why? How long is this going to last? How long is this going to last? I mean, the reason that we're asking how long is because we've given up on why it's happening. If we knew why it was happening, we wouldn't be nearly so concerned about how long this is going to con- continue. And so for people of faith, you know, people like you and me, ground zero for the consternation that we have about what God is allowing centers on the word why. Chuck Swindoll used to tell the story, maybe he still does, but I, I'm, I've heard it from him, from him at least once, um, about a missionary a guy named Glenn Chambers. Now, this was just after the end of World War II. And Glenn was, uh, had, had, had decided, that he announced to his family that he was going to go on the mission field to Ecuador. I think it was the Voice of the Andes or something he was going to do. And he was pretty excited. He raised support and money and prayer support and all those kinds of things like missionaries would do. And then uh, finally, when he went to go get on the plane, and he was boarding, about to board the plane in Miami in the airport. This is 1947. 
And he was boarding his airplane, and he realized he hadn't said the things to his mother and his father that he wanted to, so he quickly grabbed some paper. He grabbed a magazine and tore out a page that had only, it was an advertisement, it only had one word on it, and he wrote, used the, the blank areas of this page to write this note to his mom. You know, I love you. I'm so excited about this. I, uh, I'll contact you when I can. You know, please pray for me, love, Glenn, kind of a thing. Mails it. He gets on the plane. But before he got to Ecuador, a 14,000-foot-tall 14, mountain reached up and swatted that DC-4 out of the sky. Plane augured into the hillside, and everybody aboard it perished. He didn't make it. But the letter he mailed made it and got home to his mom. And in God's sovereignty, the page that he had torn out from this, this, that included his note was a single word from this advertising. The word was, why? Why? That's the question that hits the hardest. It, it hurts the most. It lingers the longest. It's the question that just kind of pounds away at authentic faith. Why? Why? And we struggle with the concept of God having secrets <laughs> because it kind of settles with finality that, that we have a fairly minuscule role in the overall <laughs> plans that God has for the universe and all of his kids. We struggle with that because, you know, uh, we, we tend to, in our minds, expand um, our own sense of our own importance and and contribution to, to God's family, to the things. Although those things are true and we make a contribution, but in terms of the overall scale, <laughs> I'm this little ant, you know. I mean, just, it's, and, and, and I, you know, I, I think we tend to expand and overestimate our importance. And I mean, when, when we've been born into the kingdom, which, by the way, I hope has happened with all of you, I hope you've all come to the place where you realize Without Christ, I'm nothing, and that it's God's mercy that I will throw myself upon in those moments, the fact that he loves me, and he made a sacrifice for me that I can never pay myself, um, and us accepting that fact, um, that I just have just a small part in all of this, when we come to that, that moment where we, I gotta know why, God, yet we don't get the answer, that makes us feel small, and we don't like feeling small. You know, if, <laughs> but I am small. I mean, if you're a parent now or ever have been a parent of a two-year-old, <laughs> you know the phrase, the terrible twos. I understand as I've looked into it that sometimes it extends into the terrible threes that are still twos, whatever. I mean, somewhere around the two to three-year-old age, um, you know, it's a normal part of child development. They, they undergo major changes in their motor skills and their intellectual skills and their social skills, and their, there's these emotional changes that are going on. And two-year-old children understand far more speech than they're able to communicate. And there, for the very first time, when they get to this, there's a certain point they get to where they're working out this, this, this balance. They're figuring out this balance between the difference between relying upon mom and dad or relying upon parents and their own independence. So they're just discovering, hey, I'm an independent. I have my own will, and I can make some of my own choices. And, I mean, <laughs> I remember, you know, with our oldest granddaughter, how frequently she would say, I do it myself. Yeah, there were times that I would try to help her with a seatbelt. I do it myself. 
you know, I kind of want her to be able to do it herself, but I also want to still be grandpa and be the one who saves the day in her life. You know, I do it myself, and it's cute when it's just a seatbelt. It moves to other areas where it's not quite so cute. And, um, I mean, I have another friend, and I remember when he told me uh, about his little girl looking him in the eye one day and saying, you are not the boss of me. <laughs> he picked her up, picked her up and set her on the washing machine, which made her about eye to eye level. He says, yeah, I am the boss of you. <laughs> and um, I guess it made him feel better at the moment, but I'm sure it did not last... And um, sometimes, you know, the little ones, they get it. Sometimes they get it. But they also have moments where they fail in their ability to be submitted to parents or there's some sort of, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and when they do that, their behavior can be really difficult for us parents to interpret. You know, it's generally the first time in their lives that they have to learn this hard, true lesson. They are not the center of the universe, <laughs> right? You may make them the center of your world and love on them and you can't help yourself because they're so cute. But I think that is one of the most important lessons, difficult but important lessons for every parent to teach their children that somehow you love them like crazy, you always will no matter what, but they're not the center of the universe. Even the earth doesn't revolve around them. It goes around a different star. It's like, uh, you know, they, it's a hard, hard lesson. And, you know, it's the lesson with that, if it's properly received, they will also understand for their whole lives. They will never really truly be their own ultimate end of authority, ultimate boss. Um, I, I saw an interview um, with a guy named Tommy Bowden who was the football coach at Clemson, and his father was a, um, um, Bobby Bowden was a football coach at Florida, Florida State, so pretty, pretty big football names. He was in an interview anyway, and he was, he was, he was asked one time, which I'm, I would kind of chuckle at the question, how many times do football players ask you, why do they have to be to practice on time? His answer was, once. <laughs> right, coach? <laughs> Just once. You, you just you know you come once. Anybody here ever been in the military? I got a question. I just can I ask you or anybody in the military? Um, how many times were you allowed to ask the question? Why do we have to wear these clothes and have a haircut like this? How many times? Never or one maybe. Okay, so really, I mean, it's like <laughs> you know, we just we just. Can we all just acknowledge that not getting answered the why is hard for us, but it's down in us, and it's a struggle. Interestingly, Job, his story is found in scriptures just before the Psalms, which is full of praises. Um, he, he was a symbol of suffering, and God allowed Satan to, um, to take from Job his family, his finances, his health, and we, we pick him up at one point in, in the story in Job chapter 3 where he's, he's sitting by himself um, next to a campfire, and he's scraping all these boils with a rock. I mean, it's a terrible scene. He's in p terrible pain. And the first question, you see this in 3.11, why? You know, he's, he's at the very bottom. He's asking, you know, why? Why was I born? Why was I brought in? I was brought into the world for this? And here's the thing. Our 
persistent demands to fully understand why can become an elevation of ourselves and a diminishing of God, the one who does know. Nevertheless, it's a struggle, you know. Mary doesn't work here anymore, and we want to know, well, why? Why doesn't she work here anymore? The test comes back positive and doesn't look good, they tell you, and we want to know why. We want to know why. There's been an accident. You need to come to the hospital right away. We want to know why. Not why go to the hospital, but why was the accident allowed to happen? Daddy's not going to live here anymore. And little ones aren't even allowed to ask the question in some cases. I look back. um, I've been on the bubble about whether to to share this this morning because I didn't have a good time as I was thinking about it in my study this week. Um, I think, look back at my father's last days. And it kind of came upon us and the family pretty quickly. We had a fairly tight-knit family, and uh, Lisa and I were actually um, in paradise on vacation when um, my dad went into the doctor and got his um, news. You have have a form of cancer that's going to take your life fairly quickly. It was like in August, end of August. And, uh, you know, um, of course, we did all of the things that were appropriate. We prayed, and we prayed with the elders. We called, and we did the anointing and all, all of those kinds of things. And um, I, I went with my mother and my father to doctor's appointments, and I sat with him while he was, you know, getting chemotherapy and, and had a lot of father and son time. It just happened to be because of my schedule let me do that. And um, one of the things I asked my father um, in that whole process I looked him in the eye one day, and I said, Dad, are you scared? I don't know why I asked that question. I want him not to be. And <laughs> he looked me in the eye, and um, I love my dad, and I miss him. I don't know if you can tell he's been gone a long time now, but I still miss him when I think about these moments. And I looked him in the eye, and he said, No, Terry, I have complete peace, and it was not a sales job. My father was teaching me how to die in those moments. Uh, what, an, what an amazing lesson. Um, I don't know if I caught it. I, don't, I won't know until later whether I caught the lesson. But November came, and um, we had a family gathering, and there was family around. And, <laughs> and um, I was at his side, and we were there with him and, 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 and in those moments when he, he took his last. And I saw the last moments of life slip out of my father's eyes. He never once, at least as far as I know or ever heard, I never heard him say, why did God allow this? It just never came out of him. Because his trust and his faith was in God. There are times when why will never make sense. The only way that that you can cause it to make sense is when you bring eternity into the equation. If you need everything in this life to add up to awesome on this planet, you're going to increase your suffering. But if you have the faith to believe that someday (laughs) you will say, more than I can think or imagine, then you're on this. You're getting this. Because strongholds are stubborn. They hold us back from embracing God. They hold us back from applying God's word. 
They're, they tie us to, to the past. They, they suffocate us. They, they restrain us over and over and over again. I have to know why. That's a stronghold. Our verse, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I, I may never know why. Theologians call this sovereignty. They call this God's sovereignty. God's in complete control. And there are a lot of questions that we, that, that we can't answer, and that's a struggle for us. And God keeps a secret from us. And, and, and I believe that that's protection. Did you ever consider that maybe the cruelest thing that could happen from a God that loves you would be if, you know, to always give you the full picture of why? That could be cruel. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That word belong there, it shows volition. It, it, God made it, made it, this is his plan. That's how he wants it. There are lots of things that you know. And, 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 and there are lots of things that I, that I don't know. Things you know and I don't know, and I know things you don't know. And, and that doesn't make one of us smarter than the other. It just means that we've applied our learning to different topics. And so we become more knowledgeable, maybe even experts on some topics. But we are going to encounter questions and issues and circumstances that none of us are the experts because it's stuff that only God knows. And trying harder to just get it is not going to reveal it. You know, I'm going to figure this out. It's just not going to work. It just won't work. And you can certainly advance your understanding. You can certainly learn things, but you're going to get to a point. You will eventually get to a certain point where you cannot go, you can go no further. But we don't have to know every why when we know the one who does. Maybe you're thinking, okay, Terry, um, nice try, but I'm not so sure that it's really protective. Um, so let's just work on that for just a minute or two. God's secrets protect us from what? What are, we, what are we being protected from? Okay. First one I would suggest is brain overload. You might not like this first point because it's a little bit insulting, Okay. <laughs> But are you aware that your mental powers do have some limits, right? I mean, okay. I mean, this is the perfect note since I've just insulted you to tell you a joke, okay? And, and since it's hunting season, here's a hunting joke. Um, maybe a little bit of a math joke for you. So um, three, three people went hunting, a biologist, a chemist, and a statistician. And the, the biologist shoots at the deer five feet to the left. The chemist shoots at the deer. He misses five feet to the right. The statistician yells, we got it! Those of you that don't get that joke just made my point for me. <laughs> ask me afterwards or ask Joseph. He thought it was funny. Um, uh, okay. Has to do with averages. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, oh the lights just are coming on over here. <laughs> As a pastor, you're never supposed to make fun of people. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, all right. I'll be in town all week. Okay, so, uh, okay, so, so they're just some brain overload. Ephesians three twenty. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, there's a limit to what we're capable of thinking according to the power at work within us. You know, I think sometimes we think that we see all the pieces on the chessboard. You might be really good at chess, but the, the truth is, I mean, and, and, and there's some mental horsepower to be really, really good at chess, but you're only looking at what's on the board. Assuming that that's all of the chess pieces is a huge mistake in life. 
It's a huge mistake. <laughs> so God protects us from, from that. Okay, second thing he protects us from is pride. First uh, Corinthians 8, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. And, you know, it's really... Um, you know, I know that this isn't you people, and that's not, it's none of us, it's nobody here, but have you ever encountered any of the crazy Christians out there? Okay, crazy Christians? One way to spot a crazy Christian is that they, they're all, many of them are all about the when. Um, when is Jesus coming back? You know, I know when he's coming back. He doesn't know, but I've figured it out. Okay, that's, that's okay. The, but the why Christians are dangerous too. Maybe even more dangerous. You know, you hear things from them like, I know why God let, gave the world AIDS. I know why 911 happened. And then there will be some sort of a judgmental conclusion that may be, have some facts to it, but none of the loving truth of heaven. I don't know why those things happened. Best I can come up with is an opinion. And that p- opinion will be tainted by my imperfect heart. If there's something that the Lord has been speaking to me on this topic lately, it's mercy and love. Anyway, so, uh, you know, I think, I think when the why, the why crazy Christians um, get really dangerous is when they get up too close to you and um, they, they get personal. I, I know why, and then they, I know, I know why you have a prodigal child. I know why your business failed. I know why your husband left you. That's crazy. Those, that's, that's hurtful. It's, it's damaging. It's, it's destructive. Okay, so we might be prideful. Um, uh, we, I've kind of hinted at this already. We might be hurting others. That's another reason. Same scripture goes on um, to say, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So that's what we need to love. Then there's this obvious risk. If we knew why, we might ju- be, end up judging God. As soon as we find out the why, the calculations begin to rumble in our head and, uh, to, so that we can form our own opinion about whether or not that was a good enough reason. And then all of a sudden, we're judging God. Romans 9.20 talks about that topic. There's, that's, a, that's a passage that talks about a potter and some clay. And the truth is that I, if, if I had the skills to make a pot out of clay, which I lack, but if I was making something out of clay... I could give a rip about the clay's opinions, right? I mean, okay, we're not clay, kind of, um, and the Lord does care about the way you feel, but your opinions wouldn't change his, plan of, his plans of love for you and his ability to see what you don't see. It, it, and isn't it kind of like a diminishment of God um, himself? I mean, I understand we struggle. I understand we want to know, but isn't it possible that that we'd, it, it, that we'd be filled with pride, we'd be hurting people, and we'd be judging God himself. And then another reason is that knowing why would sometimes take me off mission. Because I'm here for a purpose. Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Did you... Um, were you subjected by your English teacher in school to read um, Alfred Lord Tennyson, um, The Charge of the Light Brigade? You know? No? Okay, so it's, it was a poem about um, um, a British light infantry unit. They were guys on horses. And uh, they were, it was as part of the Crimean War, and these guys were completely, it was terrible. They, it was bad military, and they got 
pretty well. You know, half a league, half a league, half a league forward. On, on into the valley of death rode the 600. Remember that? Volley to the left, volley, no, I said cannon to the left, cannon to the right, cannon, you know, the, all this bad things going on. Into the jaws of hell rode the 600. And it goes on and it talks about these terrible things. There's not to question why. There's not to reason why. There's but to do or die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. And um, this, is, this topic is why we so revere in our culture people who have served in the military. Thank you, all of you who raised your hands before who've served in the military. Because they put themselves in harm's way. And sometimes they make an ultimate sacrifice. We call it an ultimate sacrifice because you know, they forsake the question why. They forsake that. And they surrender th- themselves to a purpose. God's secrets are for loving protection. He's helping me, I think, by not building me. And there are a lot of questions that, 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 that we cannot answer. God keeps a secret from us. Okay, 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. It always, then but, Scripture always turns on that, um, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. We spend so much time and energy on why, 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 why. What about all of the things he has told us? The secret things belong, you know, that belong to the Lord our God. They're safe there. They're best there. But the things which have been revealed belong to us. Awesome. We got a lot revealed to us. There's a lot we know from his word. Those things that have been revealed belong to us. We should savor what's revealed. Isn't it just a little bit sinful, a little bit selfish to focus on what we don't get to know? After all, because you know a lot. And um, we, know a, we know a lot of whys, and we know a lot of where this is going. We know a lot of, about how it ends. In fact, you know everything that matters. It's already available to you. Second Peter, uh, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the, challenge, the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We have not been shortchanged when it comes to getting information from God. We should savor what's been revealed. Okay, now I want to take just one minute, and we're, and we're wrapping up here. Um, and um, I'm going to take a shot at electronic Bibles. <laughs> Full disclosure, I have Bible apps on my phone and my iPad. I use them, and uh, I think they're great for looking things up, and I think they're great for a quick reference. I think they are a terrible substitute for a real Bible, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, I, I, think, I think it's okay if you use them, but it needs to not be your go-to Bible. You know, on the road, fine, good. But have a real Bible in paper and a pen nearby. Here are some problems with Bible apps. What I'm going to call non-Bible Bibles. Okay? <laughs> okay, number one, it's not personalized. I know that in some of your apps you can drag a line across and so forth, but you, you, can, you can cross out the ones you don't like, if that's what you were thinking. Okay, so um, you, you, I know that you can highlight and do that kind of stuff on some apps. But it's different than when you're with the Lord and um, the Lord shows you something and you make a little note in your margin because at some point in the future, you're going to be back on that same page and it's going to stir something new and deeper. Okay, so I think it's not personalized. Second one, I think the field of view is too small. Field of view, if you own binoculars, some binoculars you see a narrow field, other ones you see a wide field. The field of view on my phone, I don't mean the type is small. I mean that the context that I can only read at any given moment is just a couple of verses. 
The, the context, the greater range of what's going on that's, uh, that's going on that is, is, um, is missing. And the problem is that, that, that text without context is pretext. And pretext is a recipe for false interpretation. You isolate scriptures, you come up with all kinds of, of crazy things. Um, and, and, and when we're using those, we get just the little parts of the Bible and we don't get um, that all, all, how it all fits together. So, third thing is it's not special. If this is your primary Bible, that's not, it's not good because the app is, is not special. I mean, I don't think that my Bible app is rightly placed when it fits right between Pinterest and Instagram. <laughs> okay? It's a minimization of the Word of God. I'll keep going. It's not observable. Here's another one. You know, if, if I'm sitting or I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere and my wife sees me with my nose in this, she knows what's going on. Right? My kids would see it. My whatever. If I'm, uh, if, if I'm at Starbucks, people know I'm in the Word of God. If I'm looking at my phone, who knows? I mean, I could be trying to watch. Anybody? I hope nobody in here is watching the Seahawks game right now on your phone. <laughs> and pretending it's a Bible, uh, you know. Did you ever do that in school? I had a Mad Magazine inside my, in school, okay, whatever. Mad Magazine. Does that surprise anybody here? Back when Mad Magazine was quality writing, okay. It's trash now, don't buy it. Okay, so. Another thing about the apps is that they're not inconvenient. It's a double negative on purpose. They're not inconvenient. I mean, I mean have you figured out that in life, not everything that's convenient is an upgrade. I mean, um, you know, the fact that you have to go and go and pick up your Bible and carry it to your car and then put it in your car and drive to church and pick it up and carry it in and then after service you have to do it all backwards. That that is a little of extra work, but it tells your soul that this is important. So now, if you forgot your Bible today, I'm not judging you. I promise you, I'm really not. Um, I'm judging you, Joseph. You're my son. <laughs> Where's your Bible? <laughs> I, 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 saved by the girl. <laughs> See that? She has one. He doesn't. With him. Okay. So I wouldn't do that to anybody that wasn't my family. I shouldn't do it to my family. <laughs> okay. So, um, but I, it's, that's, I just want to make a case for why we bring Bibles to church. Here's the other thing, too. I think that more often than not, when you're sitting in a message like this and you've got the Bible, the Scriptures open, the Holy Spirit will be talking to you about something completely different and you've got a place to make the note and it will make sense to you later why the Lord was speaking it to you. And it will be a life. I promise you that. I promise you the Holy Spirit's speaking to you now. I, I promise. I don't mean through the things I'm saying. <laughs> I promise you that the Holy Spirit is doing that if you're listening. That's the part of savoring things that have been revealed. Then, then also notice, and we're just wrapping up here, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our... Notice it's not your children, my children. This is to the entire nation. It's to our children forever. The children of this church are our children. I mean, we have a collective responsibility over the children that show up here. And um, as a, <laughs> amen. And uh, by the way, I want to say as a church, you get an A plus, 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 plus on this topic. Watching children line up to come up here and quote scriptures is a huge deal. It's a big deal. 
I love doing that. So way to go. Keep going. That. Anyway, so uh, our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. It's the word of God. This is our mission. It's to share the word of God with our children and the world. And, um, you know, I, sometimes I think, you know, God, forgive me for all the time I spend spinning my wheels on the question why. And um, because the, what you have revealed to us is so rich and so deep. How long uh, is a priority? So, and then how long does this go on? Forever. That we may all do the works of his law. God's word is God's provision for human happiness. It's the manufacturer's specifications for ha- human happiness because God's purpose in revealing his word to us is our obedience in him. And it's a game changer. When I take my focus off of what I don't get to know and double down my focus on what is revealed, that's my mission in life, to make sure that my children get the word of God down into their souls and forever. Okay, let's pray. Lord, this day, um, (laughs) I'm grateful for little voices that really preached the sermon this morning and um, the picture that that is. We pray over our children here and ask God for you to fill them with life. By that, I mean your word. And we do that, Lord, at this place, and we want to do that in our homes, and we want to do it better than we're doing today. But now, Lord, um, there's something else about little children that you have pointed out to us in Scripture, and that's about childlike faith. That, Lord, there comes a time after, somehow, after age two, where children learn to trust the covering to trust those who know more and see more than we do. And even as we become adults, Lord, we can have a hard time sometimes just letting go of why. Lord, I pray that for people in this room that the word why is drilling pain into their soul today, that somehow that would just stop right now, right now. That, Lord, without answering the question, something of peace that goes beyond our understanding might seep into our souls. Drive it right past our intellect, Lord. Not as if somehow we have checked our brains at the door, but instead, Lord, we have intentionally chosen to put our faith into the faithful one. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet.